Section 11 The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner Written by himself by James Hogg This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Women Posted to Edinburgh and as they put themselves under the protection of an English merchant, who was journeying thither with twenty horses laden and armed servants, so they had scarcely any conversation on the road. When they arrived at Mrs. Logan's house, then they spoke of what they had seen and heard, and agreed that they had sufficient proof to condemn young Ringham who they thought richly deserved the severest doom of the law. I never in my life saw any human being, said Mrs. Calvert, whom I thought so like a fiend. If a demon could inherit flesh and blood, that youth is precisely such a being as I could conceive that demon to be. The depth and the malignity of his eyes is hideous. His breath is like the airs from a charnel house, and his flesh seems fading from his bones, as if the worm that never dies were gnawing it away already. He was always repulsive, in every way repulsive, said the other. But he is now indeed altered greatly to the worse. While we were hand-fasting him, I felt his body to be feeble and emaciated. But yet I know him to be so puffed up with spiritual pride that I believe he weans every one of his actions justified before God. And instead of having stings of conscience for these, he takes great merit to himself in having affected them. Still. My thoughts are less about him than the extraordinary being who accompanies him. He does everything with so much ease and indifference, so much velocity and effect, that all bespeak him an adept in wickedness. The likeness to my late hapless young master is so striking that I can hardly believe it to be a chance model and I think he imitates him in everything, for some purpose or some effect on his sinful associate. Do you know that he is so like in every liniment, look, and gesture, that against the clearest light of reason, I cannot in my mind separate the one from the other, and have a certain indefinable expression on my mind that they are one and the same being? or that the one was a prototype of the other. If there is an earthly crime, said Mrs. Calvert, for the due punishment of which the Almighty may be supposed to subvert the order of nature, it is fratricide. But tell me, dear friend, did you remark to what the subtle and hellish villain was endeavoring to prompt the assassin? No. I could not comprehend it. My senses were altogether so bewildered that I thought they had combined to deceive me 
and I gave them no credit. Then hear me. I am almost certain he was using every persuasion to induce him to make away with his mother, and I likewise conceive that I heard the incendiary give his consent. This is dreadful. Let us speak and think no more about it, till we see the issue. In the meantime, let us do that which is our bounden duty. Go and divulge all that we know relating to this foul murder. Accordingly, the two women went to Sir Thomas Wallace of Craigie, the Lord Justice Clerk, who was, I think, either uncle or grandfather to young Drummond, who was outlawed and obliged to fly his country on account of Colwain's death. And to that gentleman, they related every circumstance of what they had seen and heard. He examined Calvert very minutely, and seemed deeply interested in her evidence. Said he knew she was relating the truth, and in testimony of it, brought a letter of young Drummond's from his desk, wherein that young gentleman, after protesting his innocence in the most forcible terms, confessed having been with such a woman in such a house, after leaving the company of his friends. And that, on going home, Sir Thomas's servant had let him in, in the dark, and from these circumstances he found it impossible to prove an alibi. He begged of his relative, if ever an opportunity offered, to do his endeavor to clear up that mystery, and remove the horrid stigma from his name in his country, and among his kin, of having stabbed a friend behind his back. Lord Craigie, therefore, directed the two women to the proper authorities. And after hearing their evidence there, it was judged proper to apprehend the present laird of Dull Castle and bring him to his trial. But before that, they sent the prisoner in the toll booth, he who had seen the whole transaction along with Mrs. Calvert, to take a view of Ringham privately and, his discrimination being so well known as to be proverbial all over the land, they determined secretly to be ruled by his report. They accordingly sent him on a pretended mission of legality to Dull Castle, with orders to see and speak with the proprietor, without giving him a hint what was wanted. On his return, they examined him, and he told them that he found all things at the place in utter confusion and dismay. That the lady of the place was missing, and could not be found dead or alive. On being asked if he had ever seen the proprietor before, he looked astounded and unwilling to answer. But it came out that he had, and that he had once seen him kill a man, on such a spot, at such an hour. Officers were then dispatched without delay to apprehend the monster and bring him to justice. On these going to the mansion and inquiring for him, they were told he was at home, on which they stationed guards and searched all the premises, but he was not to be found. 
It was in vain that they overturned beds, raised floors, and broke open closets. Robert Ringham Colwain was lost once and forever. His mother was also lost, and strong suspicions attached to some of the farmers and house servants to whom she was obnoxious, relating to her disappearance. The Honorable Thomas Drummond became a distinguished officer in the Austrian service and died in the memorable year for Scotland, 1715. And this is all with which history, justiciary records, and tradition furnish me relating to these matters. I have now the pleasure of presenting my readers with an original document of a most singular nature, and preserved for their perusal in a still more singular manner. I offer no remarks on it, and make as few additions to it, leaving everyone to judge for himself. We have heard much of the rage of fanaticism in former days, but nothing to this. End of Part 1 The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner Audiobook Recording by Claude Stewart